0: It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Let's go! Let's go! Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show. On the World Wide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about Right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan
1: Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with yours truly, Ryan Hickey, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is a football Monday, week number two of the NFL, almost in the books. Obviously, the Monday night game tonight Saints at Raiders breaking in the brand new Las Vegas Stadium. Fortunately, no fans would still will be a sight to behold. It looks like one of those Roomba vacuums in the middle of the desert. But hey, really excited to see what it looks like on the inside, and very excited to see what the uh, what the new Raiders Stadium is all about. Can't can't wait to see it um, later on tonight. But outside of that, 15 to the 16 games of the NFL for week number two are in the books, and we are here to talk about them all. Talk about them all. There is a lot to discuss, a lot to take away from another crazy. Intense, unfortunately, unfortunately, injury-plagued week number two in the NFL. A lot to get to here on the Ryan Hickey Show. 9-20, 15 minutes from now, I want to get into, I had two major takeaways from the Chargers at Chiefs games, one of the most exciting, one of the best games of Sunday afternoon. Two things. One, I told you about last week we We're talking about the Chiefs. I gave advice to every team playing the Chiefs from here on out. The Chargers did not take it. I us say what that piece of advice was. And do the co- uh, quarterback excuse me, controversy in Los Angeles. I'll tell you uh, yeah, why that is and who should be starting in 15 minutes. If you're a Falcons fan, Lions fans, we got on that last week. right? They had a nice lead against the Bears. Mitchell Trubisky looked awful. Shocker. And then the Lions allowed three fourth-quarter touchdown passes from Mitchell Trubisky to lose. An absolute heartbreaker. On top of that, DeAndre Swift, nice little rookie For the Lions drops a go-ahead touchdown pass. It would have won them the game right in his hands. No one around him to kind of knock it it away. And he just flat out drops it. Heartbreak for Lions fans. This week, different fan base. Used to, though, used to, though, heartbreak and blowing leads 940. Falcons gonna falcon. Why, sure, it's another shocking loss. But there's a reason why this continues to happen to this Atlanta franchise. I'll tell you why. Top of the second hour. We're two weeks in, like I said. The stats are there for 0-2 teams. Only 11%, since the NFL went to 16 games, has only 11%. So 36 teams out of 321 have made the playoffs after starting 0-2. There are 11 teams right now in the NFL, as we sit here today, that are 0-2. Can any of the 11, any of them, just one, but any of them make the playoffs? I'll tell you the answer at the top of the second hour. 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. If you're uh, up early with us on the West Coast, we appreciate you listening. 10-20 quick hits, A lot of different thoughts about all these different NFL games, including why the Bears, to me, are still cementing and still, um, to me at least, I feel confident predicting them to be last in the NFC North. And finally, I do want to get one NBA point in here. An insane game two last night. Lakers and Nuggets AD with the game-winning three to put the Lakers up 2-0 over the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. But I don't want to talk about that game specifically, but I want to talk about something with with what LeBron said Friday night after Game 1. We can talk about the MVP voting. LeBron was very upset that not only won, you know, the MVP voting wasn't close because Giannis, if you missed it, won his second consecutive MVP award going away. They got 86 of the 101 votes, went his way. LeBron very upset that it wasn't closer, and he kind of called out the voting process. He called out the way and how basically people interpret what it means to be the MVP. I'll tell you why he's right. But in being right, it's to his detriment. It actually hurts his case and really kind of mitigates why he should be frustrated. We'll do that to end the show 1040 Eastern. But we have to talk about what happened last night. Sunday night football. Patriots, Seahawks, an incredible game. Best game of the season so far. I get it. It's two weeks in. Not many to choose from. But that was just... For all, the, for all that we went through as sports fans, starting with the shutdown back in March, questions about the NFL season, will it get underway? What will it be like? What will the, just the play itself be like, right? There's been really no off-season training. A lot of these guys, sure, you know, you have home gyms or personal trainers, but because of the restrictions for the pandemic, you can't really train the way you want to. So you're off-season, you're not, in theory, in the best shape that you would be normally coming into a season. Training camp is truncated. It's a lot different than normal. There's no preseason games. There were some questions that, sure, the NFL is going to get going, but this first month could be awful. It could be hard to watch. It could be sloppy. There could be a lot of bad football, and I thought that's what we're going to expect. Through two weeks, I couldn't be happier to be wrong. It's been great. It's been crisp. It's been clean. I think that was highlighted last night in the Seahawks-Patriots game. came down to the wire. A goal-line stand for Seattle. As they come away with the 35-30 victory, go to 2-0 on the season. The Patriots fall to 1-1. But I want to kind of – I got two different takeaways, one from the Patriots side, one from the Seahawks side that I want to get into here. And I'd love to get your thoughts either on Facebook, Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or and Ryan Hickey Show. I'll start with the Patriots first. Here's what I want to ask you. Are you the sports fan? Are you the Patriots fan? Are you a fan of the AFC? Are you a fan of the NFL in general? Are you fearing the Patriots after last night's game? They put, you know, they pushed Seattle to the brink, down double digits a few times, come back, Cam comes within a yard, yard and a half of winning the game in the last play. And it was another game where Cam Newton was phenomenal. He was the offense. He was the focal point. He was the man guy. He lifted this offense on his back. The Patriots accounted for 464 yards last night. Cam Newton, of that 464, was responsible for either throwing or running for 444 of them. That's 95%. 95% Cam Newton was responsible for the offensive output last night. Obviously, he had a hand in the 30 points that were scored. So this was a great litmus test for New England. This was a test that you can point to and say, how truly good are the Patriots? Sure, you beat the Dolphins in Week 1. It's the Dolphins. They're in their rebuilt, And, you know, it's not like you overpowered the Dolphins. It's not like you took them to the woodshed. They, they played okay. The offense got sluggish at times if you're in New England. Cam played well on the ground. But other than that, it wasn't too much to write home about. But now they go to Seattle, play really well, and again, come within a yard, a yard and a half of beating the Seahawks, moving to 2-0, and getting an impressive win. Fans are no fans. An impressive win in Seattle, a hard place to play. So are you fearing the Patriots? Because I'll be honest. Seeing the reaction on social media last night, seeing the way Cam has played, I'm still not fearing the Patriots. I still I'm still skeptical of how good they can be. Because honestly, Cam Newton, there were two questions about Cam Newton coming in. I'll be honest to tell you, I'll tell you right away, one of them I was wrong, and I'm proven wrong about. But the other, I, there's you can't come to that conclusion yet. One way or another. I'll tell you what that is. So, first of all, what I was wrong about, right? People love hearing what you're wrong about. I'll admit, I was definitely wrong. I doubted how good Cam Newton actually could be this year. And I told you when he was signed. Jared said it would be the starter. I didn't think Cam Newton would actually be that good. Because not just the question marks about his health. You're going to a new team for the first time in your career. It's a weird offseason. So the first time you're going to see your receivers, throw to your receivers, is going to be in training camp. Less time to prepare. Less, you know, obviously no preseason games to kind of get the rust off. And you're going against a guy in Jarrett Stedham who's been there, who knows the system, who knows his receivers, although the continuity and familiarity would just put Jarrett Stedham over the top and have him win the starting job over Cam Newton. But Cam Newton so far has been absolutely nothing short of lights out. He's been phenomenal. Can't doubt it. And that's where I was wrong. I have my doubts about Cam Newton's skills, how good he actually could be. So far with his legs, like we saw a lot in week one, with his arm that we saw a lot last night, he's been great. Absolutely great not taking anything away from what Cam has done. A lot better than I expected. And I think it's not, you know, it's not too early to say two games in, there's no doubt about Cam's skills. He has shown you what he has. He's shown you he can go back to the 2015 self. He can go back to his early Panther days before injuries ravaged the last really two, two and a half years of his career in Carolina. He can go back to that. He can be the Cam Newton we really expect. That's that dual threat. And I am impressed, and I am honestly shocked by it. So I'll give him that. It's not too early to say Cam Newton skill-wise is back. But here's a question I think that you can't answer yet that still leaves me doubts of why I'm not feeling the Patriots to be legitimate contenders in the AFC. Why I'm not even really still putting the, the Patriots in the playoffs or even to win the East. Uh, is because the durability question of Cam Newton is still yet to be determined. Still yet to be answered. Because guess what? What is going to happen as the season continues and the hits start to pile up? We still don't know how much of Cam, Cam's body can withstand hits. We still don't know how durable he truly is. And two games in, I'm sorry, you can't come to that conclusion. And as we've seen, like I just said, Cam accounted for 444 of the 464 yards the Patriots gained on offense yesterday. 95%. So essentially... All the passing yards, obviously his quarterback are gonna come from him. All the rushing yards are gonna come from him. Because it's whether whether it's Rex Burkhead, whether it's Sony Michelle, those guys cannot be a, a, a lead rusher, cannot lead the team in rushing, cannot cause defenses or give defenses worry. They'll just be complimentary pieces, but the number one Bell cow running back is gonna be Cam Newton. And to me, that's still a dangerous combination for a sixteen game schedule. There's a reason. There's a reason. Why NFL teams do not run their quarterbacks as much as they do in college. There's a reason why the Ravens are trying their best to obviously have Lamar do be himself, run, but also protect him when he runs. Also, maybe have him throw it a little bit more. Because you realize those hits pile up after a while. So two games in, absolutely Cam skill-wise has been there. But his durability, question mark, honestly, is still lingering. Talk to me in week 9, week 10, week 15. Because if the Patriots are going to continue to use him the way they are, I am legitimately scared that Cam Newton will not make it through the season. And if he can't make it through the season, I don't see who's coming in to save the day for the Patriots. If he goes down, so does the Patriots season. And that's what gets me worried about the Patriots. They have all their eggs in the Cam Newton basket. That if he goes down, if he gets an injury, if he misses a few weeks, I don't see who's stepping up, taking over, and leading the scene to victory. You can point to Bill Belichick's record. When I mean, Tom Brady's out right now, it hasn't been a lot of games. But obviously, Matt Castle steps in, they go 11-5. When Tom Brady was suspended the first four games, they go 3-1 with the combination of Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. I think this is different. This is, a, this is a team, and this is, this is an area where Cam Newton is elevating everyone else around him, not vice versa. When it was Jimmy Garoppolo, when it was Jacoby Brissett, that team around them was really good. They lifted those quarterbacks up. They didn't have to do, ask them to do a lot. It's different now. Again, Cam Newton is the offense. He is the guy. And that gets you worried because you, you have a guy with durability question marks. Again, he's missed 16 games the past two years. You don't get less injury prone as your career goes on. So again, Cam Newton last night didn't run as much as he did in week one. He was still the leading rusher in terms of yards, in terms of attempts for the Patriots. They are going to, and they kept saying this on the broadcast, that they don't want to run Cam as much as they did in week one. They're not showing it. Sure, some of those rushers account for knees or QB sneaks at the end of the half. But they're still going to run and rely on Cam to be their number one rusher, along with their number one passer. So far, two games in, none of the, the Patriots running backs can carry the burden in the run game. So you're going to run Cam, you're going to throw Cam, you're basically going to ask him to do everything, and that's what gets me nervous. Because I have serious question marks, and I have serious reservations that he can stay healthy and take a beating through 16 games. So two games in, he has been great town wise and I will admit I am wrong. Hand up. I am wrong about Cam Newton. I doubted his talent. The talent is there. His arm looks great. When he sets his feet, his accuracy is great. He threw some nice deep balls last night, which I was impressed with. His decision-making is good. That question has been answered. But the question that still has not been answered yet, that you really can't answer for another 8, 9, 10 weeks at least, is his durability. Can he be there every week? Can you count on him and rely on him to be under center and be his best week in and week out? And I personally am worried that they're just grinding him into the ground. And sure, it's week two. He's still fresh. He's coming off almost essentially missing the entire season last year. He played, what, a game and a half? I think he finished the Tampa Bay game on that Thursday night. He played two games, missed the final 14. Had a shoulder injury before that. So I'm not fearing the Patriots just yet. I'm not. You know, I'm sure there'll be discussions today. of the Patriots the third best team? All this stuff about how you, you know, how do you not sign Cam Newton if you're if you're another team? Fair, absolutely fair. The talent is there. The biggest question mark that hasn't changed though, which gave a lot of teams pause, which still has me so doesn't have me sold in on the Patriots is his durability. I'm not sold on it. So for that reason, I'm not personally fearing the Patriots. I viewed them the same way yesterday as I did before the week started, before the year started. Missing the playoffs. Missing the playoffs. Because I just don't trust and I don't believe the way the Patriots are using Cam is sustainable. So I apologize for repeating myself because I know we talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about it when Cam was signed coming into the year. There been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion about the Patriots. And I'm just not hearing it. I'm not buying it. So I'm curious your thoughts. Are you buying the Patriots? Are you fearing, I should say, the Patriots? Buying or fearing? Either one. If you're a fan of a team in the AFC, I'm a Colts fan. I'll be honest, I'm still not fearing the Patriots. Now, if they play the Colts week three, I'd be nervous. Absolutely. Again, Cam Newton has played really, really, really well. But two games in doesn't answer the biggest question I have about him. that's his durability. If he can't be there, this team is in big trouble. Big, big, big trouble. So that's not a gamble, personally, I would take of putting all my eggs in the Cam Newton staying healthy basket. That's a gamble Josh McDaniels. That's a gamble Bill Belichick and the Patriots are taking. Not one I would take. So I'm curious your thoughts. If you're a fan of the team in the AFC, are you fearing the Patriots? If you're a fan of the team in the NFC or just an NFL fan in general, are you buying the Patriots? Can they be good? Because even in the loss, they were very, very, very impressive. Cam showed you he still has the talent to be really good. So I'm curious your thoughts. Are you buying the Patriots? Are you fearing the Patriots at all? What did you think Cam Newton? Big stage Sunday night football against a very good team in the Seahawks on the road. Goes toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson. Almost, it comes within a yard of pulling off the upset and getting the the victory over the Seahawks in which a night that Russell Wilson threw five touchdowns. Speaking of Russell Wilson, we'll take a break here. So we getting your thoughts on Cam Newton, Facebook, World Wide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or at Ryan Hickey Show. When we come back, I want to talk about Russell Wilson. Five touchdowns last night. Guess what the Seahawks are finally doing? Letting Russ cook. Is there any quarterback that's in the same class as Russell Wilson and Patrick Holmes? We'll discuss when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Short here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. September 21st, can't play September by Earth, Earth, Earth and Fire. Always a great day. And always a day we will never forget. September 21st, great, great, great song. So I'm curious, will we be forgetting about Cam Newton's performance later on in the year because he's not playing? Talon is there. He's proven me wrong on that. He's been playing phenomenal, especially last night. Got it down with his legs. Got it down with his arm. And again, one yard away from pulling the upset and beating the Seahawks on the road. And by the way, before I get to because I do want to talk about Russell Wilson. But before we move on to the Seahawks perspective, Patriots perspective, of course, Monday morning quarterback, armchair quarterback, easy to always say, ah, should have ran a different play. On that last play of the game where Cam Newton basically they put 10 or 9 offensive linemen a fullback. And Cam Newton said basically run run over everyone get to the end zone. Absolutely the right call. Absolutely the right call. Because you know what? If I was a Seahawks fan, the one thing I would be petrified of is, is the Patriots doing exactly that. All game. When the Patriots wanted to run down your throat. Wanted to punch you in the mouth, they did it. Just go back to the last drive. The drive before that, Patriots march right down the field, get inside the five-yard line, what do they do? The same exact thing. They put everyone over 300 pounds on the line, push the Seahawks back, and Cam Newton ran in pretty easily. Now, they did stop it on the two-point conversion, but to be honest, I thought there was no way. The Seahawks were gassed. They were getting no pass rush on that last drive. I thought they were were winded. I didn't think they were going to get it. Or get the stop, I should say. So I love the call. I thought it was absolutely the right call. Sure, it didn't work. But that's the, the way you want to go down. Power running football on a play that's worked all game. Credit to the Seahawks. They made the play. They blew it up, and they got the stop to win the game. But not the wrong call. Absolutely the right call. I know there's a lot of questioning about it. Oh, should have spread everyone out, run it down in the middle. Should have gave Cam the option to throw the ball. No, 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 no. Did the right thing. It didn't work out. Credit to the Seahawks. Guess what? They made a play. They are professionals. You're allowed to make plays. But absolutely no second-guessing from Josh McTance. I thought it was absolutely the right play. And I saw a tweet that I retweeted. Uh, let me just pull it up here really quick. And I thought it really perfectly encapsulated, at least my personal feelings, watching that um, watching that final play go down. And, and when they got in the formation that they did, I was like, uh-oh, this is, you're in trouble here. Tweet was from Danny Kelly over at the Ringer. Very good NFL mind. We're saying, if we're going to go by the team should do opposite, or I should say, team should do what opposing fans don't want them to do, I was terrified of Ken Moon running that exact play. I'm stunned Seattle stopped it. I couldn't agree more. Could not believe the Seahawks actually got a stop on a play they're getting gashed at and driven back at the entire game. The credit to them. There's no questioning Josh McDaniels. There's no questioning Bill Belichick or the call. That was the right call. Put the game in the hands of your star quarterback who's been running up and down the field all game long. So, are you fearing the Patriots? Are you buying the Patriots, Worldwide Sports America on Facebook, WWSR and underscore radio on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show also on Twitter. We'll get your thoughts, read them on the air as we go on. But I do want to look at this from the other perspective. Because I thought how, for how great Cam Newton played last night, Russell Wilson was equal if not better. Absolutely incredible. And Russ put on a clinic last night. 288 yards, five. Five touchdowns against that Bill Belichick defense. He's been really the only quarterback to consistently give Bill Belichick fits throughout his entire career. Now two games into this 2020 season, you have Russell Wilson throwing for a total of 610 yards, nine touchdowns, and just 11 incompletions against uh, against Atlanta and now against New England. I mean that's that's the MVP, that's the MVP awards right now. Now again, two games in, but Russ has been phenomenal, phenomenal, and he's only gotten better as his career has gone on. I right? remember when he started first got in Seattle was a Legion of Boom led by defense and it was basically. Don't have Russell Wilson screw this up. Don't have the offense screw it up. Just do enough. Run the ball. Play clock management. And basically, don't lose it for the defense. And now, what happened? We even almost saw a divide. And you can honestly blame the demise of the Legion of Boom. Partly on Russell Wilson. Because the defense, very outspoken. Right? You had a ton of personalities. You had Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor. You had a lot of vocal outspoken guys in that team. And um, they were frustrated with the way Russell Wilson, in their minds, almost being babied. You know, he's getting kind of excused for some of the mistakes he was making. And it was really almost, again, the defense carrying Russell Wilson along. Well, guess what? The Legion of Boom broke up. It's been Russell Wilson's team, and he's only gotten better. And now it's an offensive-driven team. It's a team where they win because of Russell Wilson, not in spite of, or despite of, in spite of, in spite of. Grammar guy. But yeah, he has been the guy now. He has been the reason why Seattle's winning. So I'm curious. After another performance yesterday, I had five touchdowns against Bill Belichick, has thrown nine touchdowns in two games to only 11 incompletions. Insanely efficient. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the summer when the Athletic put out their quarterback tiers. They had five quarterback tiers, or I'm sorry, five quarterbacks in tier one. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, then they had Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Jason Watson. So I want to kind of revisit those those rankings quickly to say, is there any quarterback that belongs in the same class as Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes? Because to me, there's no. There's not. If it's Tier 1, if we're talking the elite of the elite, it's Patrick Mahomes, 1, Russell Wilson, 2, and that's it. That's the list. So the Athletic, again, when they had their tiers, in Tier 1, they had five quarterbacks, and this was all decided by coaches and evaluators putting together this list. But again, watching the way that not only Patrick Mahomes just wills his team to victory, and I want to get to him next. But the way Russell Wilson has done the same thing so far. There, to me, there's no other quarterback in the NFL right now is on the same level as those two. He cemented himself in the elite category. I think he really has separated himself from every other quarterback below. Aaron Rodgers. Still a very good quarterback, right? We're seeing that in 2020. He's had a great start to this year. The offense has come to life, despite the fact that it didn't really address any of the glaring needs they had from last year to this year. They're still lit lighted up against the Vikings and now against the Lions. But to be honest, before this, 2019, 2018, he was quiet. Not great. The offense sputtered. Wasn't, you know, it wasn't explosive. When Aaron Rodgers took a step back, you can almost say even regressed. So after two good games in 2020, I'm not ready to put him back in that elite of the elite category when he's had a few years before that. That one, were we're phenomenal. We're an outstanding to the level that we know Aaron Rodgers can get to. Drew Brees, serious concerns that he can finish a season and there's enough gas in the tank for him. By the last few seasons, back in 2018, we saw really in January, he came to a screeching halt. Even though they made it to the NFC title game, even though, again, they were one blown pass interference call away from making the Super Bowl, they weren't exactly winning those games because Drew Brees is lighting it up. Drew Brees is throwing for 300 yards, four touchdowns, five touchdowns, and just having the offense be unstoppable. If anything, the defense stepped up. Brees made just enough plays. That offense struggled. The offense was not easy to watch. I mean, he's 41 years old. To me, it's taking a toll. So I'm not ready to put someone in the elite of the elite category saying he is the best of the best and the most important position when his play has slipped the last few years in the biggest moments. I think one of the best things that happened to him last year was that hand injury, he missed five games, he came come back to refresh. He was great in December. But what happened? You get to January. The game against the Vikings didn't show up. He lost a home game in the playoffs to Kirk Cousins. Do you know how hard that is to do? A home game in the playoffs in the Dome against Kirk Cousins. And he lost, and yet Kirk Cousins out battling. Make more plays. So I'm not ready to put Drew Brees in that category. Deshaun Watson, I'll, I'll talk about Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson in the same breath, because to me, they're both they're on both the precipice. They're both the closest to this group of any other quarterback in the NFL. There's a few areas of Watson's passing game that still give me a little bit of pause, saying he's just not elite of the elite yet. And Lamar, to be honest, I just want to say a little more. 2019 was outstanding. 2019 was incredible. And if he can replicate that, good luck to any defense that's trying to stop him. But I want to see how he adjusts to the adjustments. I want to see, all right, now that teams know what to expect, teams are either trying to slow down the run, maybe even make him run more, slow down the pass. I want to see how he adjusts. So I just want to see a little bit more before I put and declare Lamar Jackson one of the best of the best. A little more sample size all. So after watching last night, again, to me, I watched, and I, we watch how Patrick Holmes plays, there's no doubt he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Russell Wilson is right there. I then don't, I don't even think that's a debate either, Russell Wilson being the second best quarterback. But is there anyone else on that level? Because to me, I say no. These two guys, by head and shoulders, are, are better than everyone else in the league. They, to me, belong in the same category, but no one else does. Russ continues to get better, continues to improve. And I think also he is a great point where you can point to him and say, listen, you don't have to take over the league, take over a team like Deshaun Watson did, like Lamar Jackson did, like Patrick Mahomes did in your first year, in your first two years, or if you don't do that, you're a bust. Again, Russell Wilson has gone through some streaks where he was not great, we'll say. Whether that's the offense, whether it's the pieces around him, the philosophy, all of it. It was a defensive-minded team for a reason. And as he got confident, as he got comfortable, he took over that team, and now it's an offensive-driven team because of Russell Wilson. They're winning because of him. That was not the case when he first got in the league. It's a great, it's a great sign that says patience does work out sometimes. If you have the right guy, he doesn't have to automatically show you wow, you and basically have a become you know create a miracle, take a bad team to be really good. So I'm curious, after watching last night's game, is there any other quarterback in your mind that's on the same level as Patrick Holmes and Russell Wilson? I'm saying no way. Those two head and shoulders, elite of the elite, and no one else is there. I'm curious your thoughts. World of Sports Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio, WWSRN underscore radio, or at Ryan Hickey Show. So when we come back, I said I wanted to get into more of the Chargers and Chiefs game. I gave the Chargers, if you listened last week to the show, free advice. Quick hits. The first segment, quick hits, or the first edition, I should say, quick hits. I gave every other team, all 30-01 other teams, advice in the NFL on how to play the Chiefs. Chargers didn't take it. They lost the game. And also, is there a quarterback controversy in Los Angeles? We'll get to that when the Ryan Hickin Show returns right here on the World of Sports Network.
0: it's the worldwide sports radio network Network. 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 welcome back to the ryan hickey show Show. right here on the worldwide sports radio network
1: Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Reacting a lot to what we saw last night. Patriots Seahawks. Incredible, incredible Sunday night game. Cam plays great. Comes within a yard of upsetting the Seahawks, getting the win on the road, and going to 2 0 in the year. Instead they fall again just a yard short. Just an incredible play by Seattle's defense. Stopping the one play that they really haven't been able to stop all game long. Blow up the play, tackle Cam short. And they move to 2-0 now in a very competitive NFC West. They move to a very important 2-0 on the year. So taking your thoughts on that game, were you impressed and are you fearing or buying, I should say, the New England Patriots? So I think that was a game where you can point to and say, you know what? Yeah, Cam. Well, what Cam is doing is legit. Maybe we had our doubts. I certainly, certainly had a ton of doubts, and I still do. What I don't doubt is Cam's skill. I will admit I was wrong on that. I thought he wasn't going to really play well. I had a lot of questions of how good he actually could play in a brand-new system where he didn't really have really any time to learn the playbook, get any sort of familiarization um, down with his wide receivers. And I thought he would struggle, honestly. But he has done anything but struggle. He's been phenomenal. But the one question I haven't had answered yet that we really can't answer for almost another two months Week 10, week 12, 14, 15 at the earliest, it is his durability. Because as we've seen, Cam Newton is the Patriots offense. In theory, almost, you can say, Cam Newton maybe is the Patriots. Their playoff hopes, their success this year hinders on his ability. Or I should say, really, availability. There's no question about his ability. His availability. And that's why I'm not fearing the Patriots are really buying them right now. Because that's a question we can't have answered yet. When those hits add up, we will see if Cam will be able to be the same player that he is right now and have the same success and even just be on the field. He was a leading rusher again, accounted for 95% of the Patriots offense. He was a leading rusher last week. It's going to be a lot on his plate this year. And really, the Patriots and Bill Belichick are putting all of their eggs in Cam Newton's basket to stay healthy and be on the field for 16 games and then some in the playoffs. So and that from the Patriots' angle. And Russell Wilson, incredible last night. The let Russ cook movement is in full swing. And it is absolutely working. Five touchdown passes. Now he has nine touchdown passes on the year over 600 yards to the first two games. He has been phenomenal. Is there any quarterback in the NFL that you put on the same level as Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson? I say no. They are the top of the top, creme de la creme, elite of the elite. And while Lamar Jackson... Great quarterback. Deshaun Watson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Step below. Step below. With Jackson and Watson being right there, but not enough for me yet because just of how incredible and how incredibly good those two and uh, in, in Wilson and Mahomes have been. Speaking of Mahomes, I want to get into this Chargers-Chiefs game. A great game yesterday. A lot of unexpected twists and turns, including Justin Herbert, <laughs> making his first career NFL start, and learning of it, not the week of, maybe not Wednesday or Thursday leading into the game, learning about it, oh, 30 seconds before the ball is about to get kicked off, 30 seconds before he's about to trot into the huddle and call his first play as an NFL player or an NFL quarterback because Tyrod Taylor hurt his chest in pregame warm I honestly still don't know how that happens. How'd to go to the hospital? Thankfully, it was released last night was out with a pregame chest injury, and that led to Justin Herbert taking over. So I want to get into whether there should be a quarterback controversy, because Anthony Lynn says no. I'll discuss why I think he's wrong. But before that, the Chargers. I know they're busy. I know it's early in the West Coast, right? It's 645 California time right now. So it's early. So it's early. I gave you free advice last week. I told you the blueprint to beat the Chiefs, and you didn't listen. What did I say last week? In quick hits, talking about how good the Chiefs looked in opening night, how electric and, and, and potent this Chiefs offense is. And now you add to that with their first-round J.F. Pick and Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a running back. catches the ball out of the backfield, tough between the tackles, over 100 yards in his first game. He had that to a great wide receiving core, a great tight end core, and obviously an all-world quarterback. It's very tough to stop. But the one way you can stop the Chiefs, Really, the best way, and so far maybe the only way to slow down the Chiefs, offense at least, is by keeping them off the field. Your best defense is offense, and the offense of your own team. And I said it like sort of fully, uh, facetiously, but also seriously. Teams should consider just not punting. Don't give the ball back to Kansas City. Because it doesn't work in your favor. Giving Patrick Holmes and this offense, giving Andy Reid more opportunities and chances to score on you will never end your way. And what happened? This game goes overtime. Fourth down and one, the Chargers win the toss. They get the ball. Fourth and one for their own 34. They elected a punt. As soon as you punt the ball, game's over. Game's over. You need a field goal to win. With the best quarterback in the NFL, with a insanely talented offensive mind, and Andy Reid and a great offense. Your defense played so well through three quarters, and really I'll even give you the fourth quarter because they only, you know, they held Kansas City to 20 points, which is an accomplishment in its own right. They hit Patrick Holmes. they put pressure on him. But you can't keep this Chiefs' offense down. It's so hard to shut them down for four quarters, let alone now have to do it again in overtime. And what happened? Fourth and one, your punt. 13 plays, game-winning field goal, game over, Chiefs win. And this is what I'm talking about, because we can ask the 49ers this. We saw this in the Super Bowl, how hard it is to keep the Chiefs' offense down for four quarters. The first three quarters, the Charters off, oh, I'm sorry, their defense was phenomenal. Nine points, 177 total yards. In the first three quarters, under 200 yards of total offense, nine points, that's it. One touchdown. Phenomenal job. Absolutely phenomenal job. But what happens? You give opportunities to Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid. Eventually, they'll cash in on him. Fourth quarter in overtime. 14 points, 197 total yards in the fourth quarter and overtime alone. So you can't contain Patrick Holmes for an entire game. So you have to capitalize on what your defense did the first three quarters. Go for it on fourth down. Win the game or lose the game with your offense. At least you have a chance. Against a defense that's okay with the Chiefs. You have to be aggressive. You gotta put your foot down. Cause if not, the Chiefs will show you they'll flip it, you know, they'll turn it. Flip of a switch. Boom. They're scoring. They're they're getting their rhythm down. They scored on every possession in the fourth quarter in overtime that they had the ball. In crunch time when the counts they, may, they won. So don't punt the ball. Don't give them another opportunity. Sure, if you don't get it, it's on your own 34. The game's over. But guess what? With the way that offense has been going in the fourth quarter, with your defense being gassed, it's over anyway if you give them the ball. Don't punt. Don't punt. I hope teams around the league take note of this. See if the Chargers didn't do the opposite. You can play the best you possibly can play. You can play the best defensive game you've ever seen for three quarters. It'll work. But eventually, they'll get you. The Chiefs will get you. Be aggressive. Put your foot on the gas. And don't give them opportunities. Your best defense is offense. Win the game with your rookie quarterback. Or lose the game with your rookie quarterback. But hey, at least, at least you you have the chance, essentially, you control your own destiny. So, I gave you Chargers, I gave you the free advice, and I hope the rest of the NFL is listening. Don't punt the ball, especially in a big spot. Don't do not do it. Another thing I wanted to kind of discuss um, from this Chiefs-Chargers game, and Justin Herbert, absolutely phenomenal debut, especially not to mention, I, I understand you know, the, the coach speak and, and the player talk is always, if you're a backup quarterback, you always prepare like you're the starter. You always carry about your business like you're starting that week, even if you're not. Oh, you know, I'm watching film the same way I would if I was starting. Getting the reps, you know, I'm trying the best I can in practice. I'm preparing myself like I'm the starter. So that way if an injury happens, I'm always ready to go. It's always easier to say and harder to carry out. But Justin Herbert, 30 seconds. Again, this is no exaggeration, but this is literally the coin toss happens. The Chargers get in the ball, and Anthony goes, hey, by the way, you're starting now. You are our quarterback because Tyra Taylor hurt his chest and warm And what did Herbert do? 311 passing yards, two total touchdowns, and again, played well enough to give the Chargers a chance to beat the Chiefs. But after the game, this is where there should be a quarterback controversy, and this is where I don't agree with Anthony Lynn. I go to the Chargers. After the game, Anthony Lynn said, if Tyra Taylor, as long as he's healthy, he's our starting quarterback. He is still our guy, whether it's he's healthy next week, he's healthy in three weeks. Whenever he comes back, whenever his chest heals, he is still our starter. Despite Justin Herbert, again, two total touchdowns, 311 yards passing. Looked like at least he knew what he was doing out there. Didn't look like he was overwhelmed. Played calm, was a leader. So my question is, why? Why not start Justin Herbert moving forward? Why? Why? What benefit do you have if you're the Chargers of putting Tyrod Taylor out there for another 14 games or wh- however it is when he's healthy? There's no benefit. To me, there, there's nothing good that comes out of starting Tyrod Taylor for the rest of the season if you're the Chargers. And again, this is a guy who played well, well enough to give you a chance to win. Again, threw one bad interception, but he was also a rookie in his first game. That's Mistakes like that are going to happen. But Herbert had limited to basically no first-team reps. Because when you're in season and you're not the starter, you're not practicing with the first team. All those reps are going to the starting quarterback, the starting offense is together. There's no rotating. There's no I'll go, you go. It is Tyra Taylor with the first team, and Justin Herbert with the second team. So you're coming in now with a team, with an offense, you haven't really worked with too much. And again, you had almost no time to prepare to play the game. So he should get more comfortable, should develop more as he carries himself to be the starter, as he gets more reps in practice with the first team. And to me, that will only make him better. And use this year as a learning opportunity. I don't, I don't get what sitting behind Tyra Taylor would do for the Chargers' future in the next few years, obviously, but also this year as well. What benefit does that have? Because we already know what kind of quarterback he is. If you want to point to the Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes sat the first year behind Alex Smith before taking over and going to an MVP season. That's a different situation because the Chiefs made the playoffs that year. The Chiefs were still a really, really, really good team that saw they had a limited future with uh, with Alex Smith, decided to take a chance at Patrick Mahomes. But still at the same time, we're still a playoff team. We're not in a developmental, in-between, on-the-fly, rebuild sort of team. They hosted a home playoff game. They won the division that year. This is, this is not a Charger team that's going to win the division this year. This is not a Charger team that's a playoff team this year. So if you're going to lose anyway, if you're not going to make the playoffs, why not get your future started right now? Why are you playing a guy who's not going to be here next year or two years? And if he does play, he doesn't elevate the offense. We know what Tyra Taylor is. He has a high floor. He's really not going to lose the game. for. He's not going to make mistakes. He doesn't throw interceptions. So he's not going to turn the ball over. But also, he's not going to win you the game. He has a very low ceiling. He doesn't make a lot of plays that make you say, wow, that are explosive, that put teams and their offenses, I should say, in positions to score a lot of points. There's a reason why he got booted out of Buffalo when they made the playoffs back in 2017. There's a reason why. He lost out to Baker Mayfield as a starter in Cleveland. There's a reason why he's about to lose again to Justin Herbert. He's a nice, safe, backup quarterback option. But this is not a a Chargers team that is a game manager away from making the playoffs, from winning the division, like the Chiefs were a few years ago. This is a totally different situation. You have a lot of talent on the team, don't get me wrong. We also have the talent on the team for a long time. You just signed Keenan Allen to an extension. You just signed Joey Bosa to an extension. You have Derwin James, who's still young. He's already out for the year, obviously. But he's still another young guy that you want to be, as long as he's healthy, a piece on your team for a very long time. Why not look to the future right now? Why not try to get some of those rookie bumps out of the way now? Because it's not like college quarterbacks come in now. Rookie quarterbacks come in and are overwhelmed by the system, trying to basically learn an entire different game from college. right? That was the knock on, on, on young quarterbacks for a long time. They need to sit because they need to learn the NFL game. And yes, it's different, but the NFL is meshing so many college concepts now into this game, into their offenses, that's not as big of a transition. The pro style is, is meshing more with the spread each day and each year. So the learning curve is not as great as it used to be. So what is, the, honestly, what's the benefit of sitting Justin Herbert? Because if you want to say he's overwhelmed, he didn't know the playbook, I mean, he played pretty damn well in his debut, especially knowing he wasn't going to start, again, until 30 seconds before kickoff. So I don't get, maybe, maybe it's just Anthony Lillian trying to be nice, not trying to kick a guy when he's down. Maybe he knows Tyra Taylor's going to be out for a few weeks, and then by that point, if Justin Herbert continues to play well, the starting job is going to be He's not going to take it away. But to me, he, hearing Anthony Lynn saying, as long as he's healthy, Tyra Taylor is still our starting quarterback, I think is the wrong attitude to have. And that's not the way you win this year. That's not the way you win in the future. Joseph Herbert gives you a great chance to win this year, but also gives you a great chance to win in the future. Get the rookie bumps out of the way now. Try to figure out what you have going forward now so that way you can adjust your team accordingly to give him the weapons he needs. So, uh, I don't get it. I don't get it to me. Again, the Chargers are not a playoff team. They have talent, but this is a team that should be looking towards the future. I'm trying to figure out, how can we be as good as we possibly can be to compete with the Chiefs? Because guess what? Patrick Holmes is not going anywhere. The team to be in that division for a very long time is going to be the Chiefs. You have the Broncos, a very young offense on the rise. You got, this division has gotten very tough to win now. You got to see what you have in Justin Herbert, have him develop, and find out sooner rather than later if he could be the guy going forward for a very long time in Los Angeles. That starts with playing him this year, starts with playing him right now. You got the taste, you got to see what he can do. Keep it going. Keep it going. So I'm curious should the Chargers make Justin Herbert their starting quarterback going forward? Did you like what you see in his debut? Again, to me, a very impressive week one debut. Played great. Gave the Chargers a legitimate chance to win. But Anthony Lynn still says Tyra Taylor, starter guy. I don't think that's the right uh, mindset at all. I hope that he goes back on it one way or another. And Justin Herbert can cement his place as a starter going forward for the Chargers. Cure th- your thoughts, Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter, or at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. So get your thoughts, and when we come back, 0-2 teams. There's 11 of them. Historically, it's been tough but not impossible for teams that start 0-2 to still make the playoffs. I'll tell you what the stats are, and if any teams that have started 0-2 still have a chance to make the playoffs, I'll tell you that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the World of Sports Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Go to back the back Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show on this Football Monday, week number two of the NFL season, almost in the books. As we are coming to you, as always, from the Big Italy Pizzeria studios. Now, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, or, or phenomenal dinners, check out Big Italy Pizzeria either in Medford or online at BigItalyPizza.com. A lot of Patriots talk. Are you fearing the Patriots? Russell Wilson is anyone in the same class as him and Patrick Holmes. I say no way. Those two are the elite of the elite, the best of the best. There's a lot of good quarterbacks out there to me. Those are by far and away the best two quarterbacks we have in the NFL. So they are alone on their own island with no one else on them. Incredible performance by Russell Wilson last night. Five touchdowns. MVP-like performance. So far as he is cooking, the Seahawks are letting Russ cook. So far through two games, so far so good. We're talking chargers. Justin Herbert started late yesterday. Surprising start. And he throws for 311 yards, two touchdowns. Chargers lose to the Chiefs in overtime. Chargers, I told you not to punt. Don't punt. Don't give the Chiefs opportunities. They did it anyway. They lost. Shocker. See, so the other 31, or I guess the other 30 teams now, listening, when you play the Chiefs, do not punt the ball. I'm being dead serious. As we've seen, you can keep the Chiefs' offense down for two quarters, for three quarters, even if you're the 49ers, three and a half quarters. But guess what? Eventually... Patrick Mahomes gets you. Andy Reid gets you. And they got the Chargers in the fourth quarter in overtime as they pull off the overtime winner. Harrison Bucker, by the way. Shout-out to Harrison Bucker. Two 58-yard field goals in overtime. Had to make a 53-yard field goal before his team was called for a false start. Had to make a 58-yard field goal the first time before Anthony Leonard called timeout in overtime. Then again, one last time, 50-yard field goal. This one counted They get the win, very impressive by the Chiefs, very impressive. Harrison Bucker, and now as we see, as the NFL continues year in and year out, the kicking gets worse and worse and worse. Congrats to you because the Chiefs have really, they really have an elite player in almost every position to score, it feels like, as the rich continue to get richer, and they get a nice win on the road in the Chargers' first home game in Los Angeles. But I do want to talk about, now that we are in week two, it's always kind of time to talk about which teams are really are already starting to circle the drain, which teams are in serious, if they have playoff aspirations, are in serious danger of missing those playoffs. Because now we talk as we sit right here on Monday. 11 teams after week two are 0-2. Now, since the NFL went to a 16-game schedule back in 1978, there have been 321 teams that have started 0-2. 36 of them, 11%, have made the playoffs, have turned it around, made the playoffs. So I'm curious. I'm asking you. There's 11, 11 0-2 teams. Can any of them, just one, make the playoffs? To me, I looked. I tried to make some arguments. I tried to make some cases as for a few teams. I'll, I'll get into those arguments and cases in a second here. But the answer is no. I understand history is slim. The odds aren't great. We've seen plenty of good teams before get off to slow starts and turn it around. It's a long season. It's a very long season, especially this year more than ever, with no preseason games, with a truncated training camp, and with a obviously just obviously a very weird off season. Slow starts are conducive more than ever. But right? if you're a good team, you are susceptible to a slow start, especially if you have a new head coach, a new quarterback, a new system. It's easier to start off 0-2 than maybe it ever was before. It was so hard. You have to overcome so much just to get to this point, to get a season ready to be played, let alone play it well. So there are some good teams i don't get into here in a second that still, on paper, should get a turnaround, but I say no way. If you are a fan of a team that's 0-2, I hate to say it, your season's already over. Pack it up. Look to the draft, look to the offseason, look to 2021, because 2020 is over. Over. Kaput. But I do want to get, so we'll discuss. I'll break it down why. What's first out of the 11 teams, there's a few no-brainers in here, right? We don't have to spend a lot of time. The Jets. I don't have to say anything. The Jets. The Dolphins, right? No playoff aspirations, but they're a spunky bunch. They play hard. They've played hard these first two games, both losses. Bengals, same thing. Young team, no playoff aspiration, just play hard, they've played hard. The Giants played hard. Again, new head coach, Daniel Jones going into year number two now, but no playoff aspirations. No shock. Panthers, same thing. So the Jets, Dolphins, Bengals, Giants, Panthers are all in the same area at 0 2. Young, rebuilding teams. No playoff aspirations. They are no brainers. Look into the offseason, look towards 2021. The Broncos were an interesting team. They were kind of a hot team late of people maybe making a surprise pick to make to the playoffs. All right, an extra wild card this year. So you get seven teams in each conference instead of six. Broncos had a lot of young talent. Drew Locke looked good the last five games last year. You add Jerry Judy. You add K.J. Hamler to Cortland Sutton. Noah Fant going into year two is a very good tight end. Maybe they can figure it out, have a pretty good defense, have some skill at least on that defense before Von Miller got hurt. But now no Von Miller. No Drew Lock for another two to six weeks. No-brainer. You're looking to 2021. The Lions were a team that, again, sort of was almost like a, a, a trendy wild card pick, a trendy team where they are going to improve, and I thought they were going to be a lot better than they were last year. I really did. I thought they had a legitimate chance to finish second in the division. I thought the Vikings, which we'll get to here in a second, I thought the Vikings were going to win. I thought the Lions could finish second. 0-2. Two games in a row now of double digits. First to the Bears, then to the Packers, lose both. Not good for Matt Patricia's job status, that's for sure. Pack it up, 2021, hopefully with a new head coach, if you're a Detroit fan, maybe that can kind of turn the tide and get this team going in the right direction. And the Falcons, another team where there's a lot of talent. Right, that offense has still a lot of weapons, Julio Jones. Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, you add Hayden Hurst. But we don't have time. Maybe we'll get to it before we get out of here. Falcons you going a falcon. Just can't get out of their own way. But there are three teams that had legitimate playoff aspirations that I thought could win the division and make it, you know be really good this year that are 0-2. The Texans, the Eagles, and the Vikings. If you're watching these games, seeing their roster, seeing the schedule, to me, none of these teams, Texans, Eagles, or Vikings, can make the playoffs. Again, if you're a fan of the Texans, fan of the Eagles, fan of the Vikings, pack it up. Season is over. We'll see you in 2021. We'll start with the Texans. Despite having one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you found your franchise guy. You did the hardest thing it is to do in the NFL. Find a franchise quarterback. The Texans have failed to put anyone around them, and their offense is regressing. Regressing. Despite having a top-five quarterback in the league with Deshaun Watson, You had Will Fuller, supposed to be the number one wide receiver this year with obviously DeAndre Hopkins getting shipped out, going to Arizona. If you're a Texans fan, do not look at DeAndre Hopkins' stats, by the way. Let's just say Kyler Murray, a big fan of his new wide receiver, of his new number one target. But Will Fuller, your supposed number one target for Deshaun Watson, in and out of the lineup on Sunday against the Ravens, zero, zero targets. David Johnson, the player you got back from Arizona, had a decent first game. But you have to expect a lot from David Johnson to make it worth it from a running back to trade an all-world wide receiver. David Johnson on Sunday, 13 touches, 50 total yards. Not going to get it done. Not the recipe you want to have success if you're Houston. Their defense isn't good. Their secondary, honestly, flat-out stinks. So they need to really get pressure on the quarterback or they are in big trouble. They're going to get roasted. So far, obviously, again, it's an extremely tough opening two games. At the Chiefs, home against the Ravens. And honestly, it doesn't really get much harder than that for a one-two punch open the year. So sure, in theory, it, the schedule can't get much harder. They can turn it around and still make the playoffs, but I say no way. Because they haven't really shown you anything to be that they are a great team. Not to mention, let's look at that schedule. It doesn't get any easier. At the Steelers coming up this Sunday, that Steelers defense looks really good. Matt Roethlisberger, uh, shaking off the rust. That offense is better than I expected. That's a really tough ask to go into Pittsburgh and win the game. The Jaguars at home should be a win, but hey, they've pushed the Colts and upset the Colts, and they pushed the Titans to where the Titans need a, a late field goal to win the game. Jaguars are going to be bad this year, but they are going not going down without a fight. Gardner Mitchell has been great. This, off- uh, this team, I should say, just has a lot of fight in them. They're not going to roll over and die. But still, Houston should, should win that game. So we're saying 1-3 at the Titans, home against the Packers. And they're staring 1-5 right in the face. The Texans have really shown you nothing so far that says, you know what? They're going to come out of this malaise. The offense, again, does not scare me. And that's despite having a top-five quarterback under center. Because they're taking weapons away. The offensive line has a, tonny, a ton of money, at least tied up in Larry Tunsil. You're paying him to be an elite top three uh, tackle. He is not that. So you're still getting your franchise quarterback hit. You're in cap hell. So the Texans, to me, are in big, big, big trouble. They're not making the playoffs. Pack it up. Look to 2021. The Eagles. I didn't have them making the playoffs this year. I went back and looked at my picks. I did not have them win the division or making the card. But I still thought they were going to be very competitive. There's still a lot of talent on this team. But their defense has been horrible. Horrible this year. A ton of missed tackles. They got gashed by the run yesterday by the Rams. Their defense has been a major reason why they have been unable to win the game so far. And also, Carson Wentz has been turning the ball over a lot. Can't be doing that if your defense is struggling as much as it is. If your defense can't stop a nosebleed, throwing four interceptions through the first two games is not going to cut it. Miles Sanders fumbling on the opening possession yesterday. Not going to cut it. So I think the Eagles have talent, and they're only going to get healthier, especially on the offensive line. The offensive line is still, still a work in progress. It's still waiting on some guys to come back. You did have Lane Johnson return yesterday, but still, that's still a patchwork offensive line. Your schedule does you no favors. Home against the Bengals, smoky bunch, you still get the win. At 49ers, at Steelers, home against the Ravens, they're looking at one of five right in the face. So the Texans. Pack it up. The Eagles, pack it up. The Vikings, pack it up. Team I really, really had my high hopes for. I thought the Texans would, would be a wild card team. I had the Eagles missing the playoffs by I then. Thought, I thought they would be a pretty good team. I thought the Vikings winning the AFC North. I thought they were going to be a division winner. I thought they were going to be, honestly, a team coming off a, a, a playoff win last year on the road in, in New Orleans. Although that could give Kirk Cousins maybe the confidence that he, he never had before kind of maybe take him to a new level that showed him, okay, look, I can do it. I can play, and I can win big games. Maybe that could give him some more confidence going forward because it looks like, honestly, he has the talent. Just he doesn't believe in himself that he can actually get the job done. Through these first two games, the O-line has just really struggled to protect Cousins. Defense has been playing better, at least yesterday against the Colts. I mean, Kirk Cousins did them absolutely no favors. He had a safety, three interceptions. You really put the defense in some bad spots. But I thought they actually played a lot better. They held the Colts to a bunch of field goals, but they were shredded, absolutely shredded by Aaron Rodgers and this Packers offense in Week 1. They have very young cornerbacks, which is a scary proposition if you're not getting after the quarterback. Putting young cornerbacks in a bunch of young corners on the perimeter going against these talented wide receivers. Not exactly the best recipe if you're letting the quarterbacks drop back and have time back there. So, Daniel Hunter, obviously, is out with an injury. That hurts them. But the offense so far is also with Kirk Cousins has been sluggish. It's been not good. It actually was down by ugly yesterday. But they also have a tough schedule. Because I was going to say, okay, there's there's of, the, of these teams, of the three teams, I think to have a chance to turn around and make the playoffs at 0-2 with the Texans, the Eagles, and the Vikings. They have the most talent the Vikings do. They should not be the worst. But look at the schedule home oh, against the Titans. The Titans have been 2-0, and they've been a very tough physical team. At the Texans, one of those teams has to win. <laughs> There's one win there eventually. At the Seahawks, home against the Falcons, at the Packers. That's not easy either. This is going to get worse before it gets better. So yeah, I did pick the Texans to make the Wilds car. I thought they were going to be a playoff team. I picked the Vikings, like I just said, to win the division. Had high hopes for these teams. After two games, I'm ready to call it. I'm done. Vikings, Eagles, Texans, any of these other eight teams, any, any of these other bad teams, Falcons, Lions, Broncos, Panthers, if you want to throw the Giants, Bengals, Dolphins, Jets in there, go for it. But any team that's 0-2, two weeks in the season. I know it's easy to overreact, easy to try to extrapolate what you see through these first two weeks and just think it's going to stay that way for the rest of the 14 games. But I don't think any 0-2 team could turn around and make the playoffs. I'm not picking any of them to do it. I think all of these teams, if you are 0-2, Already start looking at the draft. Watch a lot of college football. The Big Tens come back in a month. The SEC starts this weekend. Your teams will be picking high. So look at the SEC. Watch the ACC. Watch the Big Ten. Try to get familiarized with these names because these guys will be near the top of the draft board when your team is picking. So sorry, Minnesota fans. Sorry, Philly fans. Texan fans. Season's over. Pack it up. We'll see you in 2021. Look towards the draft. Hopefully look. at already start who's going to be free agent, maybe make some trades, start doing some mock trades. But your season's over. Look forward to 2021. Maybe, maybe, maybe a turnaround could actually come about, but we'll see. But I don't think any of these teams, any of the 11 teams that are zero to can turn it around. Your seasons are over. So I'm curious your thoughts. I gave you the three reasons why, to me, at least the three teams that have a chance or have the most talent to make a turnaround, the Texans, the Vikings, and the Eagles. I don't think any of the three can actually do it whether it's what we've seen so far having a killer schedule or a combination of both. Is there any team in your mind that's 0-2 that you think can turn it around and make the playoffs? I'd love to know. I'm curious. I'm very honest. I'm open to listening. I'd love your thoughts. Either Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or at Right Hickey Show also on uh, Twitter. So any 0-2 team could turn around. Is there one out there in your mind that can turn it around and still make the playoffs? We're getting your thoughts. And when we come back, week two edition of Quick Hits. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the World Wide Sports Radio
1: Network. It is week number two edition of Quick Hits. But we discussed a little storylines in depth. We talked about the Seahawks-Patriots game from both sides. Broke that game. just Again, the game of the year so far, two weeks in. Incredible, incredible game. Seahawks get the stop at the one-yard line in the last play of the game. Hold Cam Newton out of the end zone as they hold on and move to 2-0 and on the season. We talked about it from Cam's per- uh, perspective, if you're just joining us. Are you buying the Patriots at all after, that, after last night's game? I'm still not because the one question I have about the Patriots is Cam's durability ability? That hasn't been answered yet. It won't be answered yet for another 10, 12 weeks or so. When you're, when we are in November, December, if he is still absorbing these hits, still running the ball like he is, basically being the offense for New England, I'm worried that he won't be able to keep up. He won't be able to stay healthy, stay on the field. And if he's not on the field, the Patriots are in real trouble. So that's why I'm not, still not fearing the Patriots right now. I'm curious, are you buying them? Or if you're a fan of the AFC, are you fearing them? Is this a Patriots team now you have to really worry about? If you're the Chiefs, if you're the Ravens, if you're the Steelers, if you're the Bills. Are you really now concerned about the Patriots if you weren't before I'm Curious your thoughts. We're talking about the Chargers. Is there a quarterback controversy? My answer is no, and it should be because Justin Herbert's a starter. Anthony Lynn, their head coach after the game, said, Tyra Taylor, when he's healthy, is still a starter? No. Justin Herbert, 311 yards, two total touchdowns, and a game where he found out he was starting 30 seconds before kickoff. Let him be the starter. You'll learn more about him this year. And it benefits the team in the long run to have him be the starter the rest of the year. than it would be to have Tara Taylor be a game manager, win you seven, eight games. I'm not really sure what good that does for a team that's not going to go to the playoffs. Stuck in the middle almost without really having any answer at the most important position putting it off for another year. Find out what you got right now this year. So we dove into that. We, told, we also told the Chargers, Don't punt the ball. If you're a fan of the other 31 teams and you're playing the Chiefs, don't punt them the football. Fourth and one in overtime. Chargers had the ball. They punted away. Three and out. The game's already over. The game is over once that decision was made. And what happened? Chiefs go right down the field. 13 plays later. Field goal. Game over. Don't punt. Don't do it. So we dove into a few of these storylines a little deeper, right? We talked about 0-2 teams. Can any of them turn around and say No. There's no 0-2 team in my mind that will make the playoffs this year. Texans, Vikings, Eagles, the only three teams really have a chance to turn it around, pack it up. We'll see in 2021. But now, there's still a lot of games we didn't get to, right? There's still a lot of storylines we didn't hit. So we'll do it here in Quick Hits. Around the league, quick thoughts on a bunch of different games I saw. Number one, Bears-Giants. The Bears somehow are 2-0. No hyperbole. The Bears are one of the worst 2-0 teams I think I've ever seen. Up 17-0 on the Giants early on. Dominating that game. Mitchell Trubisky doesn't look great but looks competent. And they are barely holding on to survive. You barely held on to beat the Lions in Week 1. You are barely holding on to beat the Giants in Week 2. Somehow they get two of those wins. But I'll tell you this. After needing a dropped DeAndre Swift touchdown in Week 1, after needing a deflected pass on fourth down where a lineman catches the ball for the first down to keep the drive going. It just takes some time away and having to hold on up for a goal-line stand at the end of the game. I'm still very confident in saying this. The Bears will finish in last place in the NFC North. They are not a good team. Mitchell Trubisky sure is 2-0 in the stat line. Had a nice fourth quarter in week one against Detroit. He has not played well. He has not looked good. He has not really played well to really reconsider why there's a quarterback controversy in the first place why the Bears declined his fifth year option he is just not impressed I'm sorry so sure the Bears are 2-0 right now I'm sure they're feeling good they are still finishing last in the NFC North So now when you actually play good teams when maybe luck is not on your side as much as it was they will get exposed so that was one of my first thoughts another thought I was very wrong. Very wrong about the Packers offense. We are looking at a Packers offense that is leading the league in points scored with 85. Through two games, they scored 85 points. Do you know how long it took last year for the Packers to score 85 points? Four games. Took them double the time. As Matt LaFleur is trying to get his new offense implemented. Double the time. Aaron Rodgers, six touchdown passes through two games after getting no help this offseason. They signed Devin Funchess. He opted out. They didn't draft a receiver in a wide receiver deep draft. Didn't do it. There's some glaring holes that the uh, the Packers had coming off of the NFC title game loss. Where if they address them, they could still have their window open. They could still win another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. He is showing right now he still has the talent to win. They neglected that. If anything... They started the rebuild. They traded up to draft a quarterback in week one. They drafted I mean, in, in, in round one, excuse me, in the draft. They drafted a running back, a position they did not need. Or at least if they, if they plan on not resigning Aaron Jones, that's why he drafted a running back in round number two. They're already looking towards the future. Aaron Rodgers so far is reminding everyone in the Packers organization, don't look towards the future just yet. I still got something. So I was personally expecting a major regression, to be honest, because the Packers' offense didn't blow me away last year. It looked stale. It looked stagnant at times. Sure, there was a few games where it exploded, but for the most part, it was plotting. It was all or kind of nothing. It didn't really look out of you know. It didn't really look in sync. It looked out of sorts. And I was I thought that was going to get worse. because it gave nothing to help Aaron Rodgers out. Again, they already basically put him kicked him out you know one foot out the door already by drafting a new quarterback. He is this year or next year before he's traded or cut. I thought this was it. I thought the offense would regress. Not been the case at all. Absolutely not been the case at all. Very impressive so far. They're two weeks again, 85 points. The highest scoring offense in the NFL, the Green Bay Packers. Props to them, I was wrong. Another offense I was wrong about. We'll stick on that theme. How about the Los Angeles Rams? I had my doubts because they were they weren't in trouble. Their offensive line was aging. They had running back injuries. Obviously, they, touch, they cut Todd Gurley. So they're going to roll with a three-headed monster of Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, and Malcolm Brown. And when you have a quarterback that relies so much on play action in Jared Goff, that was most successful when the run game is working, he can go play action under center and throw the ball deep. I had serious reservations this that offense would work. Again, I thought the running back-offensive line combination got worse. And in doing so, I thought it would have really bogged down the passing offense. But man, that has not been the case. The running game has been great so far. The plashing game has been there, especially yesterday against the Eagles. Jared Goff was throwing the ball down the field, making a ton of completions. When well, the running game got things going. Sucked the Eagles linebackers in. Sucked the secondary in. throwing the ball over the top. Jared Goff looked good, throwing a few nice passes. So through two games, I know it's early. Through two games, the Rams are looking a lot like their 2018 selves. They're looking a lot like the team that went to the Super Bowl just two years ago. Very impressed by the turnaround. Again, because I thought they were in cap hell because they they were an older team. Kind of clinging to one last run here by signing and trading for a few big-time free agents, signing to long deals, kind of mortgaging their future to win now in the present. Through two games, it's working. So congrats to Sean McVay. He's no dummy, right? I think a lot of people got off the Sean McVay bandwagon last year. I have questions about Jared Goff. So far, so good. So far, so good. Impressive win over the Cowboys. Impressive win over the Eagles so far, if you're the Rams. Now, really, I should have started with this, because this was the biggest takeaway from yesterday. And it's unfortunate. But, man, the injuries. There was carnage in week number two across the NFL. Saquon Barkley feared torn ACL. Nick Bosa, yet Kyle Shanahan after the game basically said, likely ACL tear. Jimmy Garoppolo left the game with a high ankle sprain and won't start next week for the 49ers. Raheem Mostert, for the 49ers, left the game. The 49ers had four guys, including Solomon Thomas, leave the game alone yesterday. And guess what? That same turf they just played on with the Jets, they get to play on it again next week against the Giants. There, are. Exciting, exciting things if you're a 49ers fan. Drew Locke, Broncos quarterback, A.C. sprained out two to six weeks. Paris Campbell, knee injury for the Colts, didn't look good. Malik Hooker, safety for the Colts. Possible blown Achilles. Anthony Barr the Vikings got hurt. Byron Jones hurt his groin, didn't return. Probably won't play this Thursday night against, uh, against the Jaguars if you're, if you're the Dolphins. Obviously, Tyra Taylor had a chest injury. Christian McCaffrey hurt his ankle, did not return later in the fourth quarter against the Buccaneers. Straight up carnage. It was tough to watch. It was one of the most injury-riddled days to big-time names that I can remember in a really long time, if not ever. The most impactful of all these injuries I just listed. because there's a lot of big names in right here. Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa, Jimmy G, Drew Locke, Christian McCaffrey. To me, the most impactful, Nick Bosa. Second most important position on the NFL field, behind the quarterback, is a pass rusher. And while, well, yes, Jimmy Garoppolo is a big loss. To me, Nick Bosa, for how talented he is, how good that defensive line needs to be and how much better he needs to be with the trade of DeForest Buckner. So you lessen and take one major piece away from that 49ers defensive line. You needed him to be even better than he was as a rookie. That's a major, major, major loss for the 49ers. That's a tough one to overcome. We'll see Nick Mullins. He played okay when he filled in for Jimmy G almost the entire year, two years ago, when Jimmy G tore his ACL early. I think Nick Mullins can, can ride the ship And just do enough to win these extra games. Keep the ship afloat. (laughs) Keep the ship (coughs) afloat when Jimmy Garoppolo comes back. But the most impactful one to me that's going to really hurt a team the most is Nick Bosa for the 49ers. How about the Cardinals? How about those Cardinals? Continue to impress. Now, again, it's the Washington football team. They had a nice win week one over the Eagles. No one's expecting this team to be any good not going to like the playoffs. Dwayne Haskins is going to be a project this year. But through the first two games so far, the, Car- the Cardinals continue to impress. Because honestly, I really w- was concerned, at least, that the pressure, the hype was, would almost you know suppress and add more pressure to this team that maybe wasn't exactly totally ready to win. Right, we've seen expectations go to teams head. Look at the Browns last year. Now, the Cardinals were a spunky bunch. 5-10-1, so the record wasn't great. But you had Kyler Murray look good in that Cliff Kingsbury offense. You have some young weapons to throw the ball to. The offense line was improving. But you had DeAndre Hopkins, and this team looks really good. This offense has looked very solid so far. You get a nice, impressive win on the road week one in San Francisco last week. And you just continue to take care of business in week two, because guess what? As easy as that sounds, that's what good teams do in the NFL. Good teams win the games they're supposed to win. So you have Kyler Murray right now playing really well, getting it done with his legs, getting, getting it done with his arm, not looking, overlooking opponents, I should say. And this playoff hype is real. This playoff hype is really real. And earlier, Texans fans, had told you don't look at DeAndre Hopkins' stat line. If you're listening right now, I suggest you turn the radio off for about 10 or 20 seconds because you we about having a new favorite toy. DeAndre Hopkins, in two games, has had twenty one receptions. Twenty-one. Kyler Murray is looking his way, looking his way often. And love having a guy that's basically a vacuum out there as the number one target. So the Cardinals continue to impress. Great start to the season where there's a lot of hype. You go win in a really impressive game that I don't think many people had you winning week one. Going to on the road to the defending NFC champions who are hungry to get back to a Super Bowl that return a lot of their same guys. Impressive, impressive win week one. You just build up that with a nice, solid win, dominating win over the Washington football team. So far, so good if you're a Cardinals fan. They continue to impress and continue to, so far, back up the playoff hype. Good for them. And finally, I hope you didn't miss this. But the, the, the crowd noise, I'm curious your, your thoughts about the crowd noise so far. To me, actually, I thought I'd hate it. I liked it so far. I think it's worked. I think it adds a little bit of a, a, a normality element to watching the game. It makes it feel more real, more normal. But obviously, you know, in the back of your mind, it's a team controlling it. So the reaction maybe isn't always as genuine as it's going to be. Maybe it's a little too loud for a three-yard run. Maybe it's just quiet after a bad play. Right? Eh, normally, the home team would boo. Well, so you could control that we'll just make it a little bit quieter the cheers will just go down a little bit we won't boo we just won't you know we won't be as enthusiastic how about Philadelphia Eagles crowd noise it is as realistic as any team that's done the crowd noise and you had the NBA do it the MLB do it now the NFL through two weeks do it no one's crowd noise is as realistic as Phillies after Carson Wentz incompletion I'm going to pull it up here for you there was booing there was legitimate booing from the Eagles crowd, if you don't believe me here, let me just stop the music for a second here. Take a listen. This is after a Carson Wentz incompletion when the Eagles were down 21-9. to nine. This is, again, no fans in the stands. In Philadelphia, there's no fans. So obviously, we've seen some fans in some stadiums. Right? The Colts had some fans. The Cowboys had some fans. There's no fans in Philadelphia. So this is all the stadium crowd noise. Take a listen after Carson Wentz throws an incompletion what the fan noise was. Wentz. Too tall for Zach Ertz, And now fourth the punt team back off to the Eagles. John Johnson out there with coverage. You hear that? The booze. Those are real booze. So credit to citizens, uh, or I'm sorry, to uh, fin- Lincoln Financial Fields, whoever's running the crowd noise. They had the booze ready, they had Philadelphia ready. That encapsulated the Philly crowd perfectly. First time I've ever heard booze anywhere. Even for the away team, I've never even heard boos. Right? If an away team scores a touchdown, it's just quiet. There's no boos. There's no jeering. To boo the home team is incredible. Incredible. I give you a lot of credit, Philly. You are making it a true home field advantage. That was awesome. Philadelphia, the most realistic crowd noise. Definitely par for the course. That is, That is too, too, too funny. I can't imagine the fans, wherever that noise is coming from, were too happy as the game went on. Love that. So those are the week two quick hits around the league. Any of your thoughts? Right, we hit on a few specific points, but if you're a fan of a team, we didn't hit on. How about the Bills? I know I didn't get into the Bills that much. Josh Allen looks really good. I might be eating my words with Josh Allen. I picked the Bills to win the AFC East, but what was my big caution? What was my big concern? thought that the Bills were a great team outside of the quarterback. I did not think Josh Allen had what it takes to be a consistent quarterback to win you games week in and week out. So far through two games, now again, it's the Jets and the Dolphins. So let's not overreact. Josh Allen has had his moments of looking puzzled, to say the least, making some interesting decisions. Ball security be damned. But he's looked good so far. He's playing really well so far, so credit to him. No problem admitting to when I'm wrong. I was wrong about Cam Newton's talent, not his durability, his talent. I was wrong about Josh Allen's talent so far. So far, so good if you're a Buffalo fan. Any takeaway you have from week number two in the NFL, World Light Sports America on Facebook, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or at Ryan Hickey Show. When we come back, I do want to squeeze in one NBA point. LeBron James, after their game one victory, the Lakers game one victory over the Nuggets on Friday night, Basically, he spent his entire postgame press conference railing about the MVP voting, the standards, the criteria, how it changes. He was very upset, and his words pissed, and you'll hear it, that the vote wasn't closer as Giannis wins the second straight MVP award. Why LeBron James is right about the MVP voting, but in being right, it actually hurts him. It's to his detriment. We'll tell you why when the Right Hickey Show returns right here. On the Worldwide Sports Network.
0: You're you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, it is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here until 11 a.m. every Monday, every Thursday, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Listening through the app, we appreciate you. Worldwide Sports Network on Android at WWSR underscore Radio. Well, should say sorry, just WWSRN if you have an io iPhone to download the app. WWSR underscore Radio on Twitter, Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Facebook. A ton of NFL. Week number two in the books. Any 0-2 team in your mind coming to, or turning around make the playoffs? I say no. Reactions to Seahawks-Patriots. Both sides. Russell Wilson. Incredible. Seattle letting Russ cook. Finally. Finally. Cam Newton looks great. In a second, you have the Patriots. We'll see. Durability-wise, still have my questions still my concerns. Which is why I still, I'm personally not fearing the Patriots just yet. But if you are, let us know. Reach out. Facebook, Twitter, at Ryan Show on Twitter, at WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter, or Facebook, World Wide Sports Network. We'll get your comments before we get out of here at the top of the hour. I do want to squeeze in an NBA point um, on, on this football Monday, because I think it's interesting. Friday night, after the game is over, after the Western Conference Finals, Game 1 concludes. Earlier that day was the MVP announcement. Giannis Antetokounmpo wins his, uh, wins his excuse me, wins his second straight MVP award, 12th player to ever do so. He got a 85 of the 101 first place votes uh, written his for his name. So congratulations to Giannis. But after the game, LeBron didn't talk about you know winning Game One of the Western Conference Finals. Didn't talk about three wins away from getting back to the finals, getting the Lakers to the finals for the first time in a decade but instead he was really upset and his words pissed that the vote was such a blowout as it was. Here's LeBron talking about really the MVP voting awards and the results getting him very upset.
2: Pissed me off. That's my truly, that's my true answer. Um, it pissed me off because, um, out of 101 (laughs) votes, I got 16 first, first place votes. Um, that's what pissed me off more than anything. Um, You know, not saying that, you know, the, the winner wasn't deserving of the MVP.
1: 16 out of the 101 votes LeBron got. And he's mad. He is furious. And part of the reason why he's frustrated is because he feels the criteria for the MVP award continues to change. Here's what LeBron said.
2: Sometimes it's, you know, the best player on the best team. Sometimes it's the guy with the best season, statistically. Uh, sometimes uh, it, it, it's changed over the course of uh, over the course of my career. I mean, you know, you don't know, you don't, you don't know. But I, you know, you know, Giannis had a hell of a season. I, I can definitely say that.
1: Giannis, hundred percent, had a hell of a season. But what is it? This, this kind of question I all want to raise to you before we get out of here. What what does the MVP mean to you? Like, what should it be about? The uh, trans is literally to most valuable player. And unfortunately, value almost can be construed in a bunch of different ways. Is it the best player in the best team? Is it a player on a middling team, but he is so good, he makes everyone around him so better, that sure, maybe the team's at 500, but if he wasn't there, they would have 10 wins. They'd be one of the worst teams in the NBA. What, What creates value in your mind? To me, it's just the overall best player for that season. Who is was the best player in that year? And to me, that was Giannis. The way what Giannis did, what he did with the Bucks, leading that team to me was worthy, and a lot of other, obviously, voters agree, it was worthy of winning the MVP. One final thing that got LeBron very upset, that too, so again, to me, and I want to kind of get into this more, but all he's about, he's basically arguing against himself why anyone who would vote for him to win the MVP this year. There's one other qualification that really drives him mad that he kind of is frustrated with how the MVP voting goes along. Here's what he said.
2: I don't know how much we are really watching the game of basketball or are we just in the narration mode, the narrative.
1: Right, so LeBron's asking basically, are we watching the game or are we going to write, you know, vote for who's the best story? Giannis going from back-to-back. Oh, should sure, that be a great story. Again, 11 other players before him ever done so. Nice story. Are we trying to will Giannis to stay in Milwaukee by winning his second consecutive MVP award? But LeBron specifically talked about narrative, talking about you know maybe some voters focusing more on the narrative of a season rather than actually just straight up who's the best player. I think he's absolutely right about that. And he's absolutely right, which is why he's arguing against himself. And the, and the fact that he is complaining about the MVP voting is only a detriment to his case. He started off by just saying he is pissed about the results. 16 of the 101 votes were cast for him. He thought that was way too low. But LeBron goes into basically explaining why no one should vote for LeBron. If you want to vote for the best player at the best year, it's Giannis. If you want to vote for the narrative, what would be the great storyline? You vote for LeBron because let's look at the stats. Let's someone who had the best year. There's no discussion. Giannis had the better year. He beat LeBron in head-to-head points per game. Giannis averaged 29 and a half points per game this entire season. LeBron 25. P E R. An advanced stat per minute production essentially measures how much production are you doing on the court, blocks, assists, points, rebounds. For every minute you're on the court, specifically to you. Uh, Giannis has the edge. Win shares. How much are you directly involved in your team winning and losing? How much when you're on the court compared to your absence are you contributing to a team than normal? Giannis leads that category. How about straight-up wins? Bucks at 53 wins. Lakers at 49 wins. How about, you know, if you want to talk about the overall player, not just the best scorer, not just the best offensive player, but best all-around, most valuable player, overall best player in the NBA, Giannis won the Defensive Player of the Year Award. Not to mention, not to mention, he did so with lesser help. LeBron had an Anthony Davis by his side. Now, this is not a knock to Chris Middleton. He's an all-star caliber player. He's a pretty good player. But if you had the choice of Anthony Davis or Chris Middleton, it's not even a discussion not even a discussion. So stats-wise, if we if we truly want the MVP to be about the best player, which it should be, in my mind, that's what it is. Not about the narrative, not about who would be the best story, who had the best season. It's Giannis. LeBron went on to say he doesn't want the this, this MVP vote to be about narrative. But again, to LeBron's detriment, narrative was the only real reason to vote for LeBron. If it's not stats, how about narrative? 35 years old. People have been on the record. Voters and NBA reporters have been on the record saying LeBron is 35 years old. This is maybe the last chance he'll ever have to vote for him for an MVP. Who knows when his play is going to drop off. The fact that he's playing this well at 35 with so many miles in his legs from just the postseason alone. It's insane. It's incredible. It defies logic that he's able to play this well at this later stage of his career. So this potentially could be the last year to vote for him when he's this good to give him one last MVP award. You want to maybe look at it as a lifetime achievement award for all the great play he's had throughout his entire career? That's a possibility. And narrative-wise, to be fair to LeBron, he did finish very strong before the shutdown. In the last 10-15 game stretch, he was playing the best of his of the season. Just co- coincided with the fact that Giannis was playing the worst 10-15 or 15 game stretch of his season. Got an injury, loss to the Lakers straight up. The Bucs were struggling a little bit. It was. Excuse me, I had a sneeze there. Oh. Oh. Sorry. It was. Obviously, LeBron had the momentum before the shutdown happened. And you know what? I'll say, if the shutdown did not happen, right? If there was no coronavirus, if there was no pandemic, LeBron had enough runway to chase down Giannis and win the MVP if he kept up that play. But it happened. The voting stopped after that. None of the bubble and none of the seeding games influenced the voting. So boom, March 11th, voting's over. Giannis is still the MVP. And if we look at the overall results in the league, it's never been about who's the best player in the game. Because LeBron, no argument, is the best player in the game right now, right? He is the best player in the NBA. Michael Jordan was the best player when he played in the NBA. LeBron only has four MVPs. Michael Jordan only has five MVPs. If you're telling me throughout his entire career, Michael Jordan is only the best NBA player five times in a specific season? Other guys, you can still be the best player in the league, but at the same time have someone else have a better season than you. One overall season can be better than yours. It so happened this year, Giannis had a better season than LeBron James, which is why he won the MVP award. You can still be the best player in the game and not win the MVP every year. Mike Trout is the best player in the game. He has not won the MVP award every year. You are allowed to vote for someone else who has a better overall year. So to me, the MVP should go to Giannis. And again, there's no real discussion. It was a blowout. It's not like we should be debating the discussion is whether LeBron had or should have been the MVP award. There's no no discussion. But I just can't believe how mad LeBron is that he not only didn't win, but that all the points that he's arguing about the voting being not consistent, maybe some voters, again, voting for narrative, all, all these other options that he's throwing out there for his frustration about the MVP voting don't apply this year. Hurt his case more than help his case. Because all the reasons and all the frustrations he listed were all reasons to vote for him this year. Now, if he's just kind of venting about his his past frustration, believing he should have won more than four MVPs, fine, then he's right. But this year, that's not the case. It's Giannis's award. The voters got it right. A lot of the voters got it right. There's no discussion. There's no controversy. So sure, LeBron's upset, sorry. But the MVP is about who has the who is the best player that season and that season only. Now who's the best player in the game? Not who be a good story. It is the best player who played the best that year. Who was the overall best player in the game? That was Giannis. That was Giannis. So narrative helped LeBron. His finish although in a smaller sample size, helped LeBron. Obviously, the playoff struggles with Giannis, even though it had nothing to do with the MVP voting. That recency, that last thought we have in our mind of Giannis struggling and LeBron looking really good with the Lakers, all helps LeBron's case. But it's not not how it is. Not how it should be. Not how it is. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Ryan Hinker Show. Really appreciate all you guys who tuned in. Hopefully you enjoyed week number two of uh, of the NFL season. I will take the Raiders tonight to cover. Saints to win the Raiders to cover in this uh, Monday night week number two action out there in Las Vegas. Should be a very exciting game. No Michael Thomas for the Saints. They go in there a little limp. Um, but I still think they do come out and get the win at the end. So that will do a for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show again. Appreciate you tuning in. Enjoy the games tonight. A lot to talk about. When, um, when the games resume when we come back here on Thursday. So stay safe. Have a good rest of your week. Stay sane, just importantly. And we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the World of Sports Sports right Network.
0: It is it, the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.